chatting with the best minds in Bitcoin. This is a Bitcoin Audible chat. What is up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And we have got a really fun one today. I've been wanting to do more follow-up shows to the reads, particularly the ones that I, I really get excited about and kind of get me racing and I want to dig into them deeper. But I've kind of been unsure of the format. Um, I figure for now I'm just going to release these as normal chat episodes since they're just interviews with the authors but I've, you know, I've been using that for like 700 odd episodes now. So maybe I'm just needlessly complicating things by thinking I need a read 592 or 595, whatever it was, follow up. I don't know. Maybe they just work normal chat episodes. But this, it, this chat is a follow up with author Brandon Quidham on his excellent piece from last week. Bitcoin is a pioneer species. It was actually read 596, but um, this is a really great piece. If you haven't listened to it yet, you probably should. But actually, in this chat, we actually do a pretty good job of covering kind of the Cliff Notes version. So um, mostly it's Brandon and me ranting on what we think this all means for the current state of the energy grid, the, the incentives for energy production, and the future, the future of development in energy and Bitcoin and honestly the expansion of civilization, how the direction and capacity to, to build environments, to build economies in certain places in the world might make a lot more economic sense than it ever did in the past and what that might mean for what our world's going to look like in the future. But definitely listen to and or read the article. Um, it really is a great piece. Uh, but we are going to get right into our chat. Uh, with that, a really quick thank you to our sponsors. We've got Swan Bitcoin. It is the best place to stack sats. Thank you to Fold, the debit card and, and gift card app to get sats back on everything. To the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet for keeping your sats stack safe. And the Bitcoin 2022 conference from the Bitcoin Magazine crew for getting an egregious amount of Bitcoiners together to celebrate and share the future of our beautiful stacked sets. <laughs> Discounts and links for all these in the show notes. Um, don't forget to check them out. All right, no further delay. Let's get into this incredible chat with the one and only Brandon Quidham on Bitcoin, our energy pioneer species. But yeah, to get into to get into the show here. Let's um, do it. First off. Welcome back, man. Um, this has been, uh, I don't think you've ever been on Bitcoin Audible before. You were on the Crypto Economy podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. I was going to say, Which, I remember a conversation, but it must have been yeah. pre-transition. I think I th we, we did an episode together and then an episode with you and Gigi back when you first dropped the Mycelium series, right? 
Um, I think that's right. Yeah, that was, that was a mind blowing one, by the way. Yeah, yeah, dude, that was fucking. It was the Bitcoin is alive episode. That one's still gold. Every once in a rare while, like you know, nobody listens to any of those episodes. But once in a rare while, be like, man, have you listened to this motherfucking episode? This shit is great. <laughs> Yeah, the first time you get exposed to that idea, it is pretty mm -hmm. radical. Yeah, it really is. Um, and the mycelium series does such a good job, like, like thinking of it as like a fucking algae. You know, it's something that truly changes the uh, the ecology of its. It changes the functions, the the primary functions of the environment, of the incentives that allow things to flourish from an economics perspective, so much like the biological perspective, like what you actually see out in nature. Um, so uh, maybe maybe actually uh, before we get into the hardcore, like I want to get into the pioneer species in this piece in particular, but what have you been working on outside of that? I don't think we've really caught up in like a year or some shit. Yeah, totally. So I spend almost all my, like, let's say work time or productive time working and building Swan. And so I have a few departments there. I run the email marketing. I run our affiliate program. I run a bunch of content marketing stuff. We run newsletters all over the place. So pretty much finding new customers, educating our existing customers, um, helping, helping just build the Swan army more or less. And then outside of that, I try to write as much as I can, but the reality is it takes a lot of time and writing is painful. Yes, and so it is. Uh, I only really write when I have something that's burning up inside that I just can't get my mind off of. And writing is the process of like uncovering this idea. Usually it's some half-baked thing that inspires me, but I don't really have it all fleshed out. And then I sit down and fight against the keyboard for a while and figure out what it actually is. And then I can send send it out in the world, hit publish, and then I can like eject it out of my mind and move on. <laughs> so it's really like too much clutter, need to defrag, get an article out. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Sometimes you just got, you got like an itch and you know, like I'll, I'll have that from time to time where that's usually how guys take episodes come about is there's just like something that is bugging the shit out of me and I can't get my other reading done. I can't get the other episodes done or as soon as I start writing notes, for some other article or something, it immediately turns into the notes of the thing that's just bugging the shit out of me. And then I realize I have to like remove 80% of it and put it in some other text edit file. And then I'm like, all right, fuck it. I gotta, I gotta just do an episode on this and get it out. And then I can go back and be productive on the thing I'm trying to do. Um, that's great. So similar. Yeah. And actually this essay, the pioneer species, I first got the idea. I want to say about 18 months ago, when I found out about the Bitcoin mining operation in the Congo, um, a French company pi uh, partnered with a, um, some government agency down there. And they essentially just monetized some hydro in the national park because all yeah. the people nearby were cutting down trees to cook their food. And the little kids were dying from cooking with biofuels and just a poor region. And so the Bitcoin miners came there and they're the captive customer, right, of that initial asset. And okay, this is such a narrative violation. That one project, it's good for the environment. It's good for economic development. It's saving children's lives. It's preventing war, right? It's all these things that the mainstream media is telling us is, is the opposite. And so right when I hit that and I was like, huh, one little change, downstream effects, tremendously holistic to that ecosystem. 
And then I, that was like, okay, I have to write about this. I started going back into ecology, watching YouTube videos, which is so much good information. Um, however, then we got the pandemic and the world was melting down and I couldn't think about anything other than that. And so I said, shit, I have to figure out what's going on in the world. And did a bunch of reading, found the fourth turning. Okay, this thesis makes sense to me. And then spent you know six months uh, working that thing out. And then I finally got back to this one a year later. <laughs> That's about the right timeline. That's that's about right. Um, uh, so, you know, digging into that, the, I, I found that interesting. The Congo thing was actually something that stood out to me too. I remember when that was coming across, and I, I'm sure I saved multiple links on that. Um, and you're right; it's 100 like counter to the the dominant narrative. And it's funny, you know. There's a quote. I think it was. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I've heard it repeated by a bunch of different people now. Um, wait, no, I think it was in your article of Bitcoin is everything you don't know about money combined with everything you don't know about energy. Yeah, it was. It was in your article, Reese, the, the one we were talking about. Um, but I love how like it's such a perfect example. Like there was a tweet just yesterday. Um, in fact, I saved it. Hold on one second. All bookmarks. Okay, yes. Uh, Nathan Nichols. I'm not even sure co-founder of RHDM, TBC board member, chairman of mining committee. I actually don't know who this is. I'm not following them, um, but I've got them saved now to go back to. But it says, Texas-based Bitcoin miners are curtailing their load starting today to help provide excess power reserves for the winter storm Landon. We are proud to help stabilize the grid and help our fellow Texans stay warm. You know, power to Bitcoin, power be to Bitcoin and all that shit. But... It's so funny that like not understanding some of the base, like even that thread, even the people, the comments underneath that thing are so profoundly ignorant that they're like, oh, we're so happy that you cut off your Bitcoin miners so people can run their heat again. It's like, bitch, they wouldn't have all that excess energy, energy if the Bitcoin miners had not been consuming it all this time. It wouldn't be produced. It wouldn't be there. And how powerful those tiny incentives and and one of the things that um i felt like you did such a good job in your piece and is so critical to this discussion is the ability to do this at any scale that you know um you brought up aluminum smelting as one of those ba those big curtailment um or uh what's the uh uh there was a term shit it's like a it's a consumption program or something like that i, I can't remember but it, it essentially a a thing that is there to designed to consume massive amounts of excess electricity, um, which you see in Iceland in particular, because there's boatloads of geothermal that just goes to waste because there's no people and there's tons of energy production. And so aluminum smelting, but you can't do like 10 Watts of aluminum smelting. You can't do a hundred Watts. Like you either have like 500 gigawatts or zero. Everything between zero and there, Bitcoin mining can do. Bitcoin mining can go to the very smallest scale and even make aluminum smelting look like a drop in the bucket. Um, and it's just shocking. And I love this idea that you have attached this concept to the pioneer species thing. So I assume everybody has listened to the piece or read it. Um, but for for the sake of the probably five people who didn't, why don't you break down 
the pioneer species thesis since we've already talked about all the incentives. <laughs> Absolutely. So one quick thing actually before we do that on aluminum smelting. So yes, Bitcoin miners can be act as that energy sponge at any scale to buy any excess energy that's not needed immediately. Um, that's point one that you made eloquently. Point two is that with that aluminum smelting plant, it takes a lot of capital up front to build that out and it takes a long time. And then what if near that power source, a town springs up and end users want to ultimately consume that demand? Then what? The aluminum smelting plant is wasted capital. You can't airdrop an aluminum smelting plant from one place to another. <laughs> whereas with Bitcoin miners, you absolutely can. And so we've the seen mobility, it. Yeah, yeah, we have seen it. We've seen and, it with okay. half the hash power on the network, like not like a little thing, not like small things moving, moving around half of the global infrastructure, picking up, picking up roots, being shipped to a different place on the planet and dropping back down and turning back on. That's insane. It's absolutely insane. The idea of any other industry or market or energy consumption, profitable energy consumption, being able to do that is batshit. It's just completely unheard of. Yeah, that point cannot be underlined more. In my opinion, that was the most bullish thing that happened last year. Watching that occur. Yeah. It's not only the fact that it's so resilient that half the hash power can get kicked out of the most authoritarian nation in the world, but it's also the fact that... Um, China no longer has a dominant hash power position. So theoretically, <laughs> the most antagonistic nation just folded their cards. They tripped at the finish line. They gave up their secret sauce. And what happens? <laughs> that hash power migrates to a, a geo, uh, a political stability, a, pl a point of political stability that is long term, right? It finds a better home. And which means those miners dig their heels in even deeper. They make local allies as they convert the municipality, all the people consuming the energy. Everyone all of a sudden becomes an ally because their life is better simply because Bitcoin miners are there, uh, right? The net effect is less energy cost for everyone else, more employees, more tax revenue, more grid stability. And yeah, okay, Texas is going to go through a rough winter. But Bitcoin miners are not contributing to that. To your point, they're actually making it better simply be due to the fact that there has to be a margin between supply and, and demand of energy. And on a spring day when nobody's using their heaters and cooling, we waste about two thirds of the energy that we're capable of producing. Right. But we have to have that that reservation two -thirds, supply. Two thirds as in just for everybody listening, two thirds as in only one third, only 30 to 35 percent of the all of the energy produced is used. The rest of it is thrown in the garbage. The rest of it is piped into the ground. There's nothing we can do with it. There's nothing that can consume it that you can just cut off later on in the day. All before Bitcoin, by the way, uh, excluding Bitcoin, there is nothing that consume it that you can just cut off at the end of the day. There is nothing you can use to store it. You can't put it in a bucket and save it for later. It's just gone. Sorry. I just, that's a phenomenal statistic and it's completely downplayed or unknown to so many people. Exactly. It's really important. And Nick Carter made a point recently where Bitcoin is the first customer in the energy industry to have these characteristics, right? And so part of the reason why people are having such a hard time getting their head around it, uh, one, nobody knows shit about energy and they all think <laughs> they do. So they just, it's Dunning-Kruger to the max. But 
related to that, even if you know a decent amount of energy, you're kind of skeptical because no industrial process or no industrial consumer yet can do this. So there's going to be like a learning process as the energy industry realizes they're leaving money on the table, right? And it's happening fast. And if you extrapolate this out, the producers who do not have Bitcoin miners as a symbiotic ally, they're going to get outcompeted by the Bitcoin miners who do, or by the energy producers who do use Bitcoin because they're making more money. <laughs> it's it's the that margins simple. are going to be huge. Like the margin difference is huge. When you're talking about portions of the day where literally half of the energy, two thirds of the energy, 60% of the energy is, no, 100, is zero, is nothing is just trash. I mean, imagine if every time you made a sandwich, you had to throw two thirds of it away. Like, and someone figured out how to eat all the sandwich. How long would you wait to figure out how to eat the whole sandwich? Like when, when that option is available to you and how could you possibly claim that the one that is throwing away two thirds of the sandwich is more efficient, is more sustainable, is better for the environment? No. No, it's not. It's wasting. It's unbelievably, shockingly wasteful because there is no there is no profitable economic consumer that can happen that can happen at that scale and that can take all every single drop of wasted energy everywhere. And I hope it does. Jesus, I hope it does. It's amazing to see how much it could change the structure and the dynamics, the incentives of our energy grid everywhere everywhere except for china <laughs> yeah right um and one other point here to hammer home which is that the people who drag their feet on bitcoin's energy use they usually have this idealistic version of the future where wind and solar replaces all the bad fossil fuels and there's yeah. so many things wrong with that but one is that renewables they actually produce energy primarily let's say solar it produces energy during the daytime right when the sun's shining and that's the time when there's no demand. Everybody's at work, so the demand is like a, you know 30% of peak or some, or even less than that. And so yeah, what happens like, is- I think it's like a four or five X difference between like midday to like seven, eight o'clock at night or whatever when it when it peaks. Yeah, it's, it's a huge, yeah, yeah. huge difference. Like the chart just looks like a giant wave. <laughs> exactly. And so in, under those circumstances, how do you justify adding solar to a grid? when it doesn't add any incremental energy when it's actually needed. So the question is, those things aren't economical when you take in the whole equation. But now with Bitcoin miners, right, now you can use more renewables because when they're not needed or when the timing's off, Bitcoin's there to buy it. And so really, if you want a renewable future, you better believe there's Bitcoin miners attached to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, now attach this to the pioneer species. What, how does this, how does this relate to ecology and how does this turn a barren economic environment into one where activity and value can flourish? Absolutely. So yeah, it's all about ecology and ecology is like systems thinking applied to biology. So it's an ecosystem. How does energy move through the ecosystem? How do populations interact? Who's getting food from where, right? It's all that kind of stuff. And a key point is that biology or ecology, I guess, is a complex adaptive system. If you do something to change an ecosystem, you don't get a linear result from that, 
right? It's complex and it's unpredictable. Same like our economy. So in both situations, we should be humble and realize that we should observe and small changes can have big outsized impacts and small changes can have unintended consequences. Uh, enter policymakers, uh, the blunder of policymakers. Okay, so let's get into the actual analogy. Um, the famous example is there's, a, there's an island off of the coast of Iceland and it's a volcanic island that erupts and it wipes out all life on the island. So it's just a dead rock. Okay, is it a dead rock forever or is there some way to rehabilitate the ecosystem? Okay, enter the pioneer species. This is a unique type of species whose job it is to go find those dead rocks and convert them into booming ecosystems. How does it do that? Well, they usually transport themselves through air. So let's say they have seeds lighter than air or they, are, they attract birds. Birds eat the seeds and poop on the island or it drifts in the water. Some accidental process, these seeds find themselves onto the barren rock. Now, the, the most common type is a lichen. So that's a symbiosis, a partnership between a plant and a fungus. Okay, the fungus burrows itself into the rock and it mines the, the rock. It literally decomposes rock through chemistry and liberates minerals. And those minerals are then given to the plant ally, the plant partner, who acts as solar panels using the sun's energy to produce food. So that's the partnership. And what happens is over time, they essentially turn that rock into some primitive soil. And soil is required for most plants. Right. So now all of a sudden we have some soil. Now, now we can attract some hardy plants that aren't very impressive, but they're they're able to continue this process of succession, which is going through stages as the ecosystem evolves. And then eventually it's a booming ecosystem, which would be called a, com, uh, a climax community uh, where I live. That would be like an oak meadow. Right. It starts with starts with the pines and the birch and then the maples and then the oaks. And then it just becomes this giant oak savanna. Um, each ecosystem has their own complex um, climax community. Now, how does this relate to Bitcoin? Okay, the Bitcoin miners are the pioneer species. And what they're doing is they're looking for untapped energy resources. Uh, actually, to zoom out for one second, they do two things. They make existing energy assets more efficient. That's flared mm -hmm. gas, that's budding up to the grid, et cetera. But they also make it make it so that new energy assets that haven't even been developed yet, they make those investments more attractive, okay? Because they offer uh, the first customer, right? They're, they're monetizing it before anyone else is available. Um, and so that, that decreases cost of capital, that decreases risk of net new energy assets. Okay, so Bitcoin miners seek out a net new energy asset like the, the untapped rivers in the Congo we talked about earlier. And it helps build out that initial energy asset. Bitcoin miners are, are converting the energy into money. And then over time, now you have this new energy asset and uh, lots of energy attracts industrial processes who want cheap energy, right? Energy is like the master commodity of the economy. So they flock to that master economy, cheap energy, and maybe they start building cars or widgets or whatever. And okay, fine. If you have industry, you're going to need some people to work at those jobs. And if you have people, you need houses and services. And so you can see that one little energy asset turns into an industrial boomtown, turns into a residential city, which turns into a flourishing uh, bit of humanity. So a nice parallel with the pioneer species. Nice. I was I was taking down notes as you were writing or as you were uh, going on that uh, that run there. Um, so one of the things that struck me right off the bat is mobility 
is that the only way the seeds that the the species gets to the barren location is the fact that it can travel it travels through the water it attaches itself to birds it you know it goes through the air it's lighter than air whatever it is it requires mobility and uh i love that that is such a great parallel to what we just talked about with bitcoin mining in that like china became an uninhabitable or which is actually there's something really funny and i've i've not been able to confirm and i don't know how you'd be able to confirm this because um it's uh inherently something that china doesn't China would attack if you could confirm it. But I heard from someone who was speaking with boots on the ground in China, uh, miners saying that probably somewhere between 10 to 20% of the hash power is still there because they're just, because it's so profitable. It's such a good thing for so many of the hydropower um, power plants and stuff that they've just kind of ignored the whole thing. And that enforcement is either A, not able to find them or B, doesn't care enough to go like shut them down, but that there are a lot of people in a lot of places that are kind of far away from the quote unquote enforcement center of China because China is freaking huge that they're just kind of like, there's a lot of rural areas that are just kind of like, I don't really care. Um, and which is really funny to think about it, that even in that, uh, even in that situation, a fifth may actually still be there. Um, but I love that mobility is so much of that. And there is nothing just like we talked about. Aluminum smelting doesn't have it. It's not there. It's a massive, slow, it's the, you know, it's the Goliath of energy consumers. And there's nothing, it's never going to do surgery. You know, it's never going to do, it's never going to fit in your bathroom. You know, like it's, it's a giant thing that either has a giant use and, needs massive amount of movement energy or it just will never be there it's not it doesn't apply and that bitcoin bitcoin mining can has that whole scope of scale and is extremely mobile it just needs a box it needs a box with a couple of packing peanuts right <laughs> that's um, right yeah i mean you could you could say bitcoin mining scales from like a single solar panel in your backyard right just toss an s9 up there all the way to the the biggest nuclear reactor humans have ever created. You can scale everywhere in between. And whenever that energy is no, whenever it's no longer profitable for the miners, as in they get priced out by some other energy buyer, they leave. And then they go seed another energy island and that turns into an oasis. Um, yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. And your point about China, um, the reality is it's so obvious that this is going to happen because it just makes economic sense. And so anyone fighting it is just kidding themselves. Like, yeah, you can try to strong arm people out of your jurisdiction, but all that does is make it more attractive for the next miner. And so fine, we're going to have some countries who ban it because they're morons like Germany decommissioning their nuclear plants and being reliant on nat gas from Russia. Smart move while their energy goes up 5x in five years. Dumbasses. Those countries <laughs> will screw up. New York will screw up. California will screw up. But Texas, Wyoming, and El Salvador will out, get the outsized returns there. And so this is ruthless competition. Yeah. And which side um, of history do you want to be on? Let's take a pause right there. Ponder that question. And let's think a little bit about Swan Bitcoin. You know Swan Bitcoin. You know it's the best place to buy Bitcoin. You know 
I mean, I'm sure you already are. You know they've got low fees. You know you've got top-notch education content and a super helpful team of Bitcoiners, like Brandon here, actually. Um, and, you know, so you know about their service. You know why Swan is the way to go. But I want to challenge you today. I want to see what can you do to save a little more than usual. If you think you can afford it, I think this is a good time to say I am worth more sats on my weekly stack or my daily or my monthly, whatever your, whatever your automatic stack is. I'm, I am deciding to bump mine up today, so I'm, I'm figuring I'm going to spread that news out. You're, you know, we are stacking for our future selves. Our future selves will thank us for this, especially if you actually do this while the Bitcoin price is down. That's really what has kind of gotten me like, man, I, sh I, can, I can do more. I can afford more. I should do this. So this is prime time. Swan Bitcoin is the prime place to stack. If you aren't using Swan, it's time to get serious about your savings. Do it automatically with automatic withdrawals behind to, to behind your own keys so that you are in possession and they don't even charge on-chain fees for that, man. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash guy. That takes you to my special page with my beautiful face on it. And uh, that, that's where you need to stack some sats. swanbitcoin.com slash guy. Let's get back into the show. Yeah, I'll, I'll, what I always come back to is how vicious the, the fight against electricity was and the fight against um, cars, uh, automobiles were. Um, if you go into, if you dig into that, man, that is some of the most vicious, like the, the political cartoons and stuff. There was, uh, there was a famous one of a dude hanging in uh, dead in like a, like a, a, a towel, like a wire, a pole with like all these wires in it. that They'd been killed by the electricity. The reason the electric chair was created was to show how dangerous electricity was so that people would be afraid of it. They started killing people that with it so that people would be afraid of it and think of it as this awful, terrible thing that we would never want in society. Somehow, somehow we are still using electricity today. I am shocked. I absolutely love that. And if I remember this right, the the person who decided to use make the electric chair they branded that as te nikola tesla's technology because yep. it was a competition i forgot the other dc guy, versus two... ac it was dc exactly. versus ac westinghouse and competition mm -hmm. there it is it's and crazy. so they're like yeah look how bad his is and another point there that i'll never forget is uh, apparently people used to yell like heckle on the street when they saw a motor carriage go by an early car they would yell get a horse <laughs> could you there imagine was a, there was an early regulation by uh big horse and carriage <laughs> corporations um that they had forced in where you literally and because automobiles were a sign of wealth like that only rich people had them for a good span of time really until the ford model t like kind of democratized i don't like that word made it available to a lot more people um but uh until until the technology got to that stage, it was seen as this, oh, I'm I'm rich and I'm just clogging up the roads and I'm making problems for people. And they literally had a regulation where you had to hire a flagger um, or uh, if that, I think there was a specific term for it. But someone who was supposed to like you could go 50 miles an hour or whatever in these cars, even back then they were they had to hire a quote unquote flagger, somebody who would uh, hold a big 
orange or red flag and swing it back and forth and walk in front of your vehicle to to show to people how dangerous it is that you are driving around in this automobile and therefore your peak speed was walking speed. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Takeaway, change yeah. is hard. People, the incumbents resist it. And the masses, if, you're, if you find yourself on the side of the masses, you're almost always wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. It really is. It really is. You know, there was there was a day where every dumbass thing that we think of today was 90% advocated for was everybody was certain. Everybody was certain that was the peak of human advancement. We got healthcare figured out. We got travel figured out. And anything that challenged that or um, under changed the underlying incentives, like the basic functioning of that, was just wrong because we already got it sorted out and we're not special today. Anything that we think we have sorted out is probably just a couple of decades from being so revolutionized that we will think of ourselves today as retarded. Like that is almost universally and always true. There is no point, you, you literally are only proving that people are that arrogant and that stupid and that self-centered if you think that we have any of the stuff figured out today, because that's what everybody thought since forever, always. Such oh, an important point. Just yeah. look at the, the history of medicine, right? Doctors used to say smoking cures cancer, right? Yeah. We, we demonized fats and, and said that margarine's good. And now we all eat seed oil simultaneously. All our health is deteriorating, right? So we don't even have it remotely close today. And I think there's a nice parallel, right, between biology and uh, the economy, where the fiat economists believe that the that order comes from policy, order comes from rules, and so they believe that okay, there's 350 million people running around in the U.S., and the only reason why we have markets is because they set the rules and they guide the policy. Uh, otherwise, it would be anarchy. That's just fundamentally not true. What happens is humans want to create value because we're biologically programmed to improve our lot in life. So we go around and we say, what am I good at? Who will buy it? And then we go do that. And that emergent process of individuals acting in their own self-interest, that emerges, the economy emerges out of that order emerges out of that. And so why would we try to steer the economy trying to put numbers on everything and, and use equations like, OK, yeah, that makes sense when we're trying to design a widget, but it doesn't make sense trying to reduce an economy down to a couple equations where old white guys sit in the tower and steer the economy like the Wizard of Oz. That is nonsense. And it's the exact same exact same reality in biology. It's so complex. It's probably more complex that we're even capable of understanding once you get down to the quantum level. But we probably shouldn't open up that can of worms. But the reality <laughs> is complexity is there. Be humble, observe, make small changes, et cetera. Yeah, I think there's, um, there's an element of, and this also kind of lends itself to the origins of religion and the the need to be humble in the face of massive complex systems is that we as humans, we tend to do really good with like seriously simple machines, like with levers, like very isolated, very right in front of us sort of systems and tools. 
But when we start talking about one little system and tool interacting with another one, interacting with another one and another one, and then interacting with each other in this massive, complex, essentially infinite scale environment. I mean, just if, if you ever want to get an impression of how big society is, like how many different people and how quickly we can completely lose sight of any sensible understanding of what's really going on. The next time you go over a hill on a highway and you, you get that really long distance view, just look at the number of cars. Just look at the number of people that are right there on that street with you that you can see until the horizon and think, this is a fraction of a fraction of a percent of the people who just live in my local area. This is such a tiny, like it looks insane. If you ever, you go over that hill and you're like, man, that's a shit ton of people. Like it is a tiny, tiny, tiny number of people. Imagine trying to think you understand just that number of people right there that you were looking at. You understand what they need. You understand what they know and how important what they know is that you could judge or weigh or value or decide for any of those people what is best for their life and then extrapolate that out to a size that you can't possibly imagine, multiply it by a number you can't possibly imagine, and then double it and triple it a couple of more times. And that's how profoundly idiotically ignorant we are when we are standing in a pedestal saying this is how everyone should run their lives and this is the this is the dictate this is the product this is the thing that everyone is going to do and it will solve all problems because in my tiny little simple machine lever gear world it makes sense to me and it's it's shocking how much disconnect there is between the people realizing that you just you don't intervening in environments doesn't work it just doesn't work. Um, and we only know things about the environment. We only really know the true, the true fundamental forces and incentives that are at play if we let the environment come about, if we watch it interact. You know, like imagine trying to manage by policy. Uh, back to the article here. You mentioned the wolves and the moose thing, and maybe I should get you to explain that just in case. But imagine trying to manage that with a set of policies oh, well, we did our moose count today and this is how many wolves should be shot and this is how many should be allowed to be born and thinking that you can do it better than the natural incentives of the environment. Um, but what was the what was the island? Maybe maybe give a simple rundown in case somebody's like, moose? What the hell is this guy talking <laughs> yeah. about? Yeah, so I, I used a, another classic example in ecology to try to explain how markets work, how... Um, e dynamic equilibrium works, how the mining industry works, how the difficulty adjustment works through biology, because those are kind of abstract. So there's an island off of um, an, in Lake Superior. One of the Great Lakes touches Minnesota, where I live. And it's actually a national park, the least visited national park. But either way, about 100 years ago, um, Lake Superior froze, which is very rare. So that created a land bridge to the island. During that winter, moose and wolves crossed the land bridge and found themselves on the island. Spring comes, they're trapped. So essentially, you have an, an island where there's really only two species. Uh, yeah, there's birds and squirrels and whatever. But the two primary ones, wolf and moose. 
all the moose do is eat grass and run away from the wolves. And all the wolves do is try <laughs> to eat the moose. So it's like a simple container. Um, and then people study the populations. And over time, they realize sometimes the moose population gets really large. And then what happens? They decimate all the grass and then their population falls. And if the moose population falls, then the wolves can't feed themselves. Right. And so there's always this, this equilibrium. And for example, um, let's say the moose population or the wolf population grows too large where there's not enough food. What happens? The weakest wolves, the old, slow, injured wolves, they can't feed themselves, so they die, right? And I'm trying to compare the wolves to the miners and the moose to the prophets, okay? So, and moose would be like a cost per hash or something like that, right? So when the miners have a good situation, uh, it's really cheap per hash or, or per dollar, I should say. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's sort of the analogy there. Uh, but I think the most important part to take away here is how um, in biology, it's connected to reality, right? So if a wolf doesn't find a meal, the wolf dies, right? It starves. And there's no magic potions to revive the wolf. <laughs> the wolf's gone. However, um, and that's important, right? The, the weakest wolf needs to die to ensure that the other wolves can get fed, Right. If all the wolves were growing too long, they'll eat all the moose and then everybody starves. And so that's the natural balance. The sacrifice of the one makes the, the, the group survive. And if we compare that to how our economic system works, a fiat system, let's say in 08, the banks, the banks uh, screw up and we don't let the banks die and recycle their capital into better capital allocators. Instead, the wizard steps in and revives the, the fallen company. And what that does is it has hmm, too many I feel like companies. That's analogous to something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and so they, they bail out the, the banks, which then allows uh, all this chaos to insert. It's unnatural. And so you actually put the whole system at risk because you're doing all this unnatural stuff. So all the zombie corporations eat too much profit and you got to steal from someone else to make it whole at the end of the day. Uh, whereas in a Bitcoin situation, if you fail, there's no bailouts because the monetary system is not politically captured and expanding the monetary supply is much harder. And so um, you have a tighter feedback loop, more skin in the game, more economic reality. And long term, that's better for humans. Um, if there is a financial downturn, it will happen fast and recovery will be quick versus this drawn out political game that sort of allows the, the wealthy class to take advantage and the little guy to sort of get screwed. Um, yeah yeah there's a there and what's kind of magical about this when you when we use the analogy of like the the weak wolf inevitably dies when there's a uh, a lack of food or there's a lack of sustainability in the environment is that the beauty of what humans have created in, in a natural economy and the ability to actually share ideas and technology is that we don't the people don't have to die that's not what has to happen what has to happen are the ideas that aren't working anymore the ideas and the businesses and the systems that are now destroying resources rather than creating it such that all we have to do is learn something new or do something new do something that's valuable and stop doing the unvaluable things and we can prevent people from dying dying can be replaced with a bankruptcy and you know, resorting your shit out and redirecting your life to something that is useful. 
what happens is we get that wizard coming in, bailing out those systems, bailing out those bad ideas, bailing out the irresponsible financial behavior and propping it, propping it up, propping it up so that it continues for another decade and then bailing it out again. So it worsens, it doubles, it triples in size and continues for another decade. And what happens at the end of it? People do die. People do actually die because the adjustment is so massive because it's a hundred times bigger than it should have been when we should have let the disease, we should have cleaned the damn disease out. We should have removed the irresponsible behavior. We should have removed the bad ideas, but we, we let them fester. We let us double and triple down onto skills and waste whole lives and dreams on something that's not even going to help anybody. It's literally doing nothing but consuming resources and not producing enough to make up for what you're eating. Everybody is eating a sandwich and making 90% of one for decades and decades and thinking that the end result is everybody's going to be fed. It's not going to happen. You're fucking with the system. <laughs> oh, man, it's so true. Two, two points here. One is the cobra problem comes to mind, or the law of unintended consequences, yes. which is that the famous example is in India, they had a cobra problem. So the Indian government said, oh, let's just get rid of the cobras. One dollar for every cobra head. All right. Sounds like a reasonable idea at face value. What happens? Because they, well, they, 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 they had cobras everywhere. Like people were getting killed, right? It was like underneath people's houses. They'd be like cobras. Yeah, it was crazy. Well, fun, even more fun little fact. Yeah, even more funny is that the yeah. enterprising young Indians, they created cobra farms and they started breeding cobras to produce those $1 cobra heads. And then the government says, shit, we screwed this up. Never mind, no more, no more money. And now there's just 10 times as many cobras everywhere. And oh so, my God. It was an that's explosion in cobras. Uh, my yeah. brother, um, uh, Agoris View, uh, he has uh, the podcast Liberty Audible, which is kind of the, the brother podcast to Bitcoin Audible. Um, he, uh, hardly ever really works on it. I think he's only got like four or five episodes maybe, but the first episode is the Cobra problem. Like that was the first like economic and like libertarian idea that he wanted to, wanted to get across. And he, uh, breaks that down. He reads, uh, some piece or whatever, and then does his, uh, Jeff's take on it or <laughs> whatever you call it. Um, but I love that you brought that up. I love that story. Yeah, yeah. And, and one more to make it real, right? The Cobra analogy is kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, subsidies for energy or, or economic policy, right? Our government wants us to transition to renewable energy. Okay, noble goal. What do they do? They try to create carbon credits. They try to give solar panel credits. They try to add taxes to the dirty industry and all this other thing, right? So they're trying to put a bounty on Cobra heads here. What happens? Carbon credits, they create a separate market. And the whole thing's demented. And the, the businesses just buy the carbon credits. The solar panel things, they, they put the money in the wrong hands. It creates an industry to leech off of the subsidy money, right? All this nonsense. Now let's juxtapose that to a what I would call a free market subsidy or something that acts like a free market subsidy, which is Bitcoin miners. If you want to make an energy asset, Bitcoin miners automatically make your energy asset more economical. And where's the waste? There is no waste. You're generating a commodity which can be sold on the free market that also has positive, positive externalities. It just so happens that that Bitcoin <laughs> commodity that you mine while it's making your energy asset more efficient provides property rights for every single person on the planet. 
And most people don't have strong property rights. Most people are trapped by their government, abused by their government. Lebanon's currency is failing, so they steal the money out of your bank account. Well, now Bitcoin has a offers a voluntary way out. So it's a free market subsidy with positive externalities instead of negative externalities. It's beautiful. Imagine thinking that a world with fewer capital controls and uh, uh, more economic independence for anybody and everybody who has an in internet connection is a bad thing. It's like I don't I don't know how to get into the mind of somebody like that. You know, what it's are you fundamentally anti-human? Also, it is right? same it with is. the anti-proof of work. Same with using energy is bad. Same with hey, daddy, government save us. All of those are based on a premise of humans are bad. And that we need to have less of us, otherwise we're going to break the planet. Well, I think the opposite. I think humans are good. And all the doom, all the doomsday people from the 50s, 60s, 70s talking about how we're already at peak population or acid rain. or There's a long list of failed productions by these specialists who only know a little narrow slice of the world. And they extrapolate the narrow slice they know, their little expertise. It doesn't apply to the rest of the world. And so the reality is humans are good. Humans are innovative. Humans solve problems. Consuming energy is good. Um, you know, Alex Epstein brings up the point that fossil fuels actually eliminated our climate-related deaths by like 90-some percent. percent? Yeah. It's like 98% over, over a century. The, the adoption of fossil fuels um, have, have made essentially weather events uh, in comparison to what they were almost a non-issue. Like, I mean, we think about it now, it's like 10 people died when this hurricane came through this city or whatever, and it's like terrible and like we're devastated. That 10%, I mean, that those 10 people used to be like 500. Like the 10 people are the ones left over from all of the lives that were saved. And I think that's what so much of the comparison is missing is that, you know, I think it's Thomas Sowell that says this, is that anytime somebody tells you this is going to produce this, the ultimate question, the, the responsibility of the economist, but the ultimate question to get you the reality of the situation is compared to what? Compared to what? So fossil fuels destroy lives or destroy the environment or whatever compared to what? You know, like look at the alternatives. Are you, are you saying that you want to wipe out 50% of the population because they consume too much energy and we don't want CO2? Or are you saying that we should use solar panels and we should level every forest on the planet and still have rolling blackouts at 8 o'clock at night? You know, like, in compared to what? It's oh, crazy. That's right. That's such a profound point. And right, we could go back to living at the standard of the developing countries today. Right. We can build our houses out of straw and mud and use less energy and die when it gets too hot and starve because making food for this many people is hard. Or we can just learn how to produce energy better. And that's kind of the fundamental argument in this piece, which is that energy is good. Bitcoin mining helps us learn how to harness energy better. And if we want to bring people out of poverty, if we want to make room for everyone to have a good life, it requires energy, especially developing countries. They pay like 3x the energy costs that we do in, in the West. And Bitcoin miners, right, the symbiosis with energy, they can plant little, little citadel seeds, little energy assets in developing countries so then they don't have to rely on imports. 
They can build their own stuff. They don't have to rely on the IMF to give them predatory lending in order to develop their natural resources. These things can happen uh, through a free market of aligned incentives of humans doing uh, what's in their best interest. And it just so happens to be better that way, uh, which is truly unique. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, when you were kind of digging into the pioneer species and like studying the separate pioneer species that exist and that um, pop up, is this, is it essentially one type of thing? Like, like for all the different options of like, were there like a shit ton of different pioneer, like things that would be considered pioneer species? Or was it like all like a variation of this algae or, you know, like, like, what what did you find when you started digging into just the idea of a pioneer species? Yeah, I, it, it's really dependent upon the ecosystem, right? And so it and it also depends on what do you consider. Um, how, how would I explain this? So, what would we consider baseline? Is baseline literally a sterile rock in the Arctic, or is baseline after a forest fire, right, or after a lava? Okay. Mm -hmm. breakdown so the lines are blurry right we like to use these there's a huge degree of uh environments that need to be uh that's right in uh what's the word um inhabited of that needs to recreate where life needs to be uh foundationed again (laughs) you know like that's right built from the ground up and people would say there's primary succession which is the first time you colonize something that's straight up desolate and then secondary succession would be we had a forest fire and how do we rebuild from there and different organisms specialize in each one but i I think the the best example or the most like universally accepted example is a lichen which has the the algae and the fungi that that just makes a perfect combination and it's not even just two sometimes there's three or four partners that just make a little little biological soup that just so happens to to start the process okay another quick break real fast for our sponsor i want to share a tip for all of you fold card holders so you know what the fold card is a debit card that gets you sats back on everything and that's literally like unheard of i don't i don't actually even know how this works but I, knew, I do know that I have a debit card and I get sats back like crazy. So I finally actually just got my wife starting to do the little metaverse thing because she sees me collecting extra spins and sats like every damn morning. Now, I know I look like an idiot when I do this. That is very 100% possible. But three extra spins and 200 sats a day just for, just for picking, them up, picking them up manually, that's, that's totally worth it. So right now, they've got a pretty sick deal going on you can actually select 1.5% back all the time, just on every single purchase, or you get to spin the wheel. Now, this is where being very deliberate about how you use your respins and making sure you get your extra ones every day is super important. So I've been taking the base 1.5% on almost everything under like 100 bucks. Then when my big monthly bills come in, Like when I just paid for my Airbnb for Bitcoin 2022, getting my hotel for unconfiscatable, then I use my spins. It's been working out great. I'm well on my way to 6 million sats stacked now with the card. That is right, 0.06 Bitcoin from from buying all of the things I always buy and just getting sats back. Also, don't forget about the gift cards. Big sats back on, on those plus a spin with the premium. Get the premium fold debit card with a 20% discount for listening to the show. Seriously, that's a big deal. 20%. 
Go to guyswan.com slash fold. It takes you straight there, and in all caps, you'll see the discount code, guyswan.com slash fold. All right, let's jump back in. It's really funny, too, when you look at um, like human energy consumption, when you look at our in, uh, economic environment, is that we really don't have anything that served that role in energy production yet. Um, like it's not a case where there's like a big variety of things that we could use. Bitcoin's kind of the first thing that operates that way. Um, you know, there's a, there's a great, uh, what's, what was the name of that piece? I think it was anatomy of proof of work maybe by when Hugo, when maybe fuck, I don't know. Um, but it was, uh, uh, I think it was the first time I heard the concept that, uh, proof of work is um, uh, progress less. Like there is no progress being done in proof of work. You can't like get closer to proof of work. You can't do every single hash is independent of every single other hash. So if you if you proof of if you do SHA two fifty six hashes for nine hours, you're not any closer to a block than you were nine hours ago, and that is one of the critical reasons why it is completely independent of time of when it's actually needed and it's completely independent of where like as long as you have an energy source and i don't know if i literally don't know of anything else that has ever been that way that really truly has either of those characteristics and then when you attach that to the fact that it's mobile and that it can scale to tiny versus giant you're looking at something that went from maybe there was something that could compare with one little statistic or like one characteristic or maybe aluminum smelting kind of has this one similarity, but no, there's like four or five critical key incentives at the very base of how to describe what this is that makes it fulfill a role that nothing else, even like it's 50% of the way there, you know? Um, so it makes me wonder, like, is, is this something that, We'll figure out how to use this system or, or, or like we'll figure out how to de develop environments um, or is Bitcoin kind of standing alone? Like is, like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm wording that to illustrate the point I'm trying to get at. Um, Bitcoin feels so unbelievably unique in that aspect is I don't even I can't even begin to fathom something that would be like 60% as useful as Bitcoin in that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, it's like, is there going to be some other source of demand for energy in the future that has a similar bouquet of characteristics? And I think, again, Nick Carter mentioned something about this I saw recently where there might be some sort of weird like data center of the future that has similar features. Um, I don't know the answer, but let's just underline the unique points, right? There's co-location. So the Bitcoin miners mm -hmm. go directly to the energy source. If you're in outer space, if you're on Antarctica, whatever, and there's no customers near you, doesn't matter. Bitcoin miners are right next door buying it all. Then it's interruptible load demand. That's that's down in Texas. When the end user needs the energy, Bitcoin miners turn off. When there's excess energy, they turn back on. A lot of other facilities, it takes days or at least hours, and it's very expensive to turn on and off. Bitcoin miners, no harm, no foul, scale up, scale down, no worries. Um, then the third one is high mobility. Uh, similar to co-location, but it's more like 
uh, after it's done being useful, you can go put it somewhere else. Um, so those are the three traits I see. And they produce all these awesome effects. And I think, I think it'd be fun to explore the future with you. Like, okay, we have this foundation. What does that foundation actually result in? Like, what can we speculate on with these new incentives? And so harnessing energy anywhere can be monetized. Excess energy assets, or sorry, existing energy assets are more economical. And net new energy assets are now uh, more economical. So those are kind of the three main pillars. And I think there's a couple of things to predict. One is that Bitcoin mining leads to energy abundance, meaning incremental energy production is so cheap that we can do whatever we want. All our basic needs are met. And if that's true, you can do all kinds of wacky stuff. And someone might say, okay, how does it lead to energy abundance? And I think the best analogy is actually um, going back to the internet where if you remember, Netflix used to ship CDs to us before they became a streaming platform. Why did they ship CDs? Because streaming, the internet wasn't good enough to send uh, the band. The bandwidth wasn't strong enough to uh, send streaming, right? So essentially the demand for streaming led to an increase in the supply of the bandwidth. And the same with Bitcoin. Bitcoin now puts a price on any energy source anywhere within the hash horizon, which will then lead to better infrastructure to harness it and more efficiency. Right. Both of those are together. And if that's true, then, OK, what becomes economical from an energy standpoint? Right. People say we're going to run out of water, fresh water, and we're going to start wars over it. Maybe so. Or we produce enough energy. We get good at it so we can just turn salt water into fresh water. We can already do that right now. It's just not uh, energy in does not equal energy out. Right. It's not economical, but long term it might be. Same with increasing food production, space travel, terraform Mars, People even say you can pull carbon out of the air. Maybe we need to do that. But all those things are downstream of more energy, including quality of life for developing countries. So if you are a humanitarian, Bitcoin should be your best friend, not only because the monetary side, but also because it's going to help developing countries harness more energy so they can have a higher quality of life. And that's something we should all celebrate. Um, You know, I live very comfortably and I, I wish everyone else had at least the basics covered. Um, it feels good. It's the right thing to do. And it's also uh, practical for the world because if people are suffering to get just their basic needs met, they're not contributing to the greater economy and rightfully so. If we get people to a baseline and energy is a big part of that, then what happens? Then they can actually pursue the things they're good at. They can contribute to specialization and maybe they're, they have a startup idea that's going to radically change the world, but they can't focus on it because they're trying to eat. And so let's raise up the bottom so that everyone can contribute, everyone can compete, and one good idea spills over to everyone. So that's prediction yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, there's a um, uh, a great there's a great analogy there, or um, just I think Safedine talks about this quite a bit, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he talks about like the population, like because humans have this incredibly beautiful and unique um, characteristic of being able to share ideas, of being able to spread the idea of solving some problem, some incremental problem. You know, imagine if you could do something that saved 90% of the population one second a day, just or just like 1% of their time, and you shared that idea. And everybody realized that this is extremely useful and they can save 1% of their time. 
it could spread through the entire global population in almost no time with the speed and the infrastructure that we have to communicate and to to rebuild this this little thing that can save us this time and one person one person with one half-assed decent idea can literally do the equivalent of saving hundreds of millions of lives worth of time lost just in little incremental things i think it was like steve jobs said that when um uh, he was arguing with one of the original uh, the the original engineering team for like the Mac, and uh, they uh, you know he's he's arguing with them and they got like the boot time down to like forty five seconds or something like that, and uh, and he was like I want it to be thirty, and uh, they were like and this is all just random I don't remember exactly what the numbers are but this is just to illustrate the idea. Um, so and they were like 30 seconds is crazy we can't we've already cut all the fat or whatever um, uh, out of this and 45 seconds as best as we can get it and he said okay how many how many computers do we project we're going to sell and he says like this many he's like 10 million 20 million whatever it is um, and 15 seconds per computer per boot up we're going to boot this thing this many times a week. Like he basically just did this math problem and showed that they could save 100,000 human lives or some insane number just by knocking 15 seconds off of it. And basically all the engineers just kind of shut their mouths and they said, all right, fuck it, we'll get it down to 30 seconds. And they went and they did it. And, and they did. They, they got it at launch at the time that they were uh, hoping it to be. Um, that is so amazing. It's crazy. It's crazy to think about. And so that's why Saifedean says it's a game of numbers. The free market is a game of, it doesn't matter if you have a thousand morons that are of no use because one person with one good idea through their entire life can make up for every bit of the drag that the thousand morons take on the economy. We can support them. All we need to do is find that kid who is currently in poverty and having to work day to day to feed themselves and give them a little free time to solve the problems in their lives. And at that, in, in that same vein, nobody gives a shit about the environment when they're trying to figure out how to cook for food. Like, like when, they're, when they're in the middle of hunting, where do people destroy the rainforest? When, where they don't have fossil fuels, where they're literally cutting down trees to burn wood to keep warm. That is where the rainforest gets clear cut because they're poor because they're poor and they don't, they don't care about the rainforest. They don't care about anything. They want to make sure that their son, their daughter has food at the end of the day that they don't freeze to death in the middle of the night. That is what they are worried about. If you give them a little bit of excess energy, if you meet their basic needs, they become useful. They become valuable members of the economy you give them an hour of just an hour a day to sit down and solve a problem rather than think where the hell is my next meal coming from lower their time preference so they're thinking out tomorrow next week next month next year let me plan for the future you suddenly have people who can give a shit about the environment you have some you suddenly have you have people who can care where their trash goes and how clean things are and how sustainable this is for the long run because they're thinking about the long run they're not thinking about this afternoon this afternoon is sorted i'm i have reached a point where i've left poverty such that this afternoon is fed it's comfortable my lights are still on and i'm going to sleep in a safe place that is how you progress. 
That is how we solve all of our big problems. Put as many brains on it as possible. And that is by producing more energy and bringing people out of poverty. Um, <clears throat> Jesus. That's such an important point. And it's really important right now. Also, we're, we're in a climate where let's say the progressive folks, they want to demonize wealth. They want to demonize energy. And they, they just are, they, they identify a problem. There is a problem here, but their solution is half-baked and it actually undermines their, their, their goals here. Like for example, um, demonize the wealthy. Okay. Screw Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Okay. Well, Bezos makes a lot of money. Great. Bezos also worked for a long time and created one of the most valuable, best companies in the world and hires a lot of people. And the money that he has, he created out of thin air. He didn't take it from anyone else. That money was created through the market. You and so, value? yeah, sorry. The value was yeah. created through the market <laughs> matters. Um, and okay. Jordan Peterson said recently, if you want to clean up the environment, you make poor people wealthy. That's the fastest way. He said that on Rogan recently. It's pretty much what you just said. And it's counterintuitive, but the reality is we want more wealth for more people, not, not some fantasy where being poor is better or being rich is bad. That's just nonsense. And it ties actually right into prediction two of what's the downstream effects, which is that whoever adopts the Bitcoin mining network strategically first they're going to win at an outsized pace compared to people who come in later. Just like the early internet, the first companies and the first countries on the internet, especially the US, had outsized returns. Um, and same with Bitcoin miners. They're going to be rewarded with energy abundance and they're going to be rewarded with more wealth. And so that feedback loop of more energy, more wealth leads to more energy, leads to more wealth, leads to um, more competition globally. And so yeah, keep an eye out for the developing countries like El Salvador. Um, there's a long list of other ones. Russia is starting to get involved now. And they're going to be making huge moves here. And the games are going to begin, and it's going to be a global hash race. And I think it's already starting to rumble. And I'm optimistic that we see countries like El Salvador or Zimbabwe or I'm trying to think of other ones. There's so Argentina, many in Africa that are Turkey rich in particular with like, natural resources. Yeah. yeah. Lots of so much of Africa, so much. I literally think Africa is kind of the sleeping giant here. Um, like uh, particularly with what we've seen in the last 30 years with them leapfrogging all of the infrastructure that we've had to deal with in the in Western nations is that they just jumped. They don't have lines anywhere. They've just got cell towers and that in even in populations, even in towns and stuff where clean water and knowing where the local fish are actually going to be in stock is a problem. They have cell phones and they can communicate with towns nearby and they can actually coordinate and know that, okay, out of all the six towns around me, rather than just going in one direction and hoping I actually got a text from my friend that the one to the East is where the fish are right now is where the clean water is abundant. We're going to go there and we're going to allocate, we're, we're going to be able to distribute resources more evenly and more efficiently, specifically because we just have this simple communication tool. And so fast, so fast, we just let frog, they, they just jumped right across all of those problems and went straight to wireless internet infrastructure. And now there's, you know, basic smartphones for 10 bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, that there's a full functioning, runs apps, a smartphone. And these people are able to get a hold of it. They're able to do use Bitcoin. And when you start tapping 
Congo, Congo, being you mentioned the very beginning of the show, Congo is such a perfect example. When they when they start building out their energy grid, when they start to actually have uh, even the small scale comparisons to this, where they're trying to utilize solar or whatever is uh, hydro, whatever is at their disposal, where they are, to do that right out the gate and be able to fund it with Bitcoin miners coming in, looking for a place to plop down, looking for that barren wasteland that has that energy source that nothing else can tap into. And suddenly their energy investments are faster to profit. They are faster to production. They are faster to income. Like every single thing, they, every single step along the way is faster, better, and more efficient. And it can happen at small scales. It can happen at a town at a town grid level. It can happen at a city grid level. It can happen at a country grid level. And as that starts to expand, and when they don't have these virtue signaling bullshit biases that are going to prevent them from actually embracing this, and they're going to see, I could have a power plant, and it could be profitable next year, or I could not have a power plant, and I could have to go look for wood again to cook my food. The, there's no there's no comparison nobody's gonna be like well which one's got more trees because that's what we're worried about you know they are going to do the one that is better for them it means they don't live miserably in grinding poverty anymore they do the one that helps them their community and actually build a sustainable future for themselves africa could fucking explode with that and it could undermine the very political systems that are preventing them from establishing strong property rights and a strong economic foundation that has been manipulated by the Western countries to keep them where they are. You know, like the, the, the number of feedback loops and incentives that change from something so simple, so simple is, un it's just incredible. It's incredible how much stuff could change and how quickly. Amen. Um, speaking of Africa being the future, let's talk about demographics for a second. The median age in the U.S. is 38 years old. What do you think the median age in Africa is? I don't know. I know it's young. I know it's like 15 or 16 or some shit Nin like that, isn't it? 19. 19. Yeah. Okay. I knew it was low. So they're Damn. all in their they're all in their productive age, relatively, yeah. right? We have a drag on our demographics because we have so many boomers who are going to be now. Uh, they're not producing anymore. They're they're sucking out of the system. Mm -hmm. And so Africa is set to launch. And your other point about sort of allowing them to develop and flourish and take advantage of what's in their backyard, right? Because they need education. They need jobs. They need technology. They need all these things to support the young people that are just chomping at the bit. And Gladstein had a quote, which I really liked, which was, instead of relying on altruism or sliding deeper into debt, Emerging market countries can finance renewable energy farms and harness their vast natural resources via Bitcoin mining and generate immediate revenue to expand electrification and close the energy access gap, right? Middle finger to the IMF. We're going to the free market. Bitcoin's here. <laughs> we'll do it ourselves. No more dropping uh, soy powder and uh, you know <laughs> poison from the sky and and. No more coming in there and buying up their natural water rights and then selling it to them in the bottle or uh, taking all their mineral rights and then giving them a soccer stadium and, and the country sells out their their right their resources to the, the highest bidder. None yeah, of that. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy how messed up their situation is. Um, the one 
the one about the Cifa Frank, um, that Gladstein's piece. I can't, I can't remember. Wait, is that the end of super imperialism? Or is that or the colonialism piece? God, I, I'm, it's the worst I when remember. I think, oh, there's that piece. And I have no idea what the title of it is. I can't remember what episode number it is. We're at 600 reads now. To, like tomorrow or today will be number 600. I can't, who can keep up with all that shit? I don't know. Um, You're the only one who potentially could. And it sounds like a tall order. <laughs> Yeah. All um, right. Let's go to number three, though. This one's super fun. And I don't know how much longer you have. I should probably get back to it shortly. But yeah, yeah number sure. three, we should, we should wrap this up. But yeah. All right. Number three prediction is the great spreading out. Okay. So historically, humans built civilizations by rivers. Rivers equal transportation, energy, food, water, defense. And that's sort of like the best place to live. Well, now we have technology. Right. So this is sort of merging the sovereign individual thesis now with Bitcoin mining. What does that give us? Uh, you can work from anywhere. You can act. You can make money from anywhere. No problem. Like peak earning potential. The Internet's good enough. So you can go find a location with better taxes that suits your lifestyle, et cetera. No longer have to be right next to the city or right next to the river. Um, but the two missing points were, I guess, sovereign individual con uh, predicted Bitcoin. So now we have money. Money is out of the hands of government, which means, again, doesn't matter where you live. No one can stop you. Um, then now we have Bitcoin mining. And what does that do? That provides energy. So now energy produces goods and services and defense and food and everything that you need. That's sort of like the last missing piece for these um, for, for being able to go remote. And so with that incentive, what happens now? Ideological people can decide, I don't want to live in these um, bug-eating, techno-fascist megacities. I want to live next to the foothills of the mountain with my friends, and we're going to have a Gen 4 nuclear reactor that's small enough to sustain a small community, and we're going to mine Bitcoin with the excess energy. So now you have ideological people choosing to live where they want to, and they're going to be self-sufficient. They're going to be economically productive. They're going to be like global-minded but work locally, and so it's essentially a, a thousand startup cities or city states, start, startup city states bloom all around the world in all the little nooks and crannies. Maybe we buy some plot of land in Texas and call it Bitcoin a stand. Who knows? But the point <laughs> is the free market is going to produce this now because it's capable to do so. And Bitcoin mining is sort of that nucleus. That, that's the citadel seed of our future governance. And what's really important here is that we actually experiment with new, time, new types of governance. I don't know what the future looks like, but we need to run some experiments, right? There's not a lot of extra land and our governments aren't innovating very much. And I would like to try some new things before we commit to whatever this, this next decade looks like or next century looks like. And it definitely looks like the, uh, our, old, uh, our old incentive structures and systems of, oh, let's top down control everything seem to be going great, just wonderfully. <laughs> no um, thank you for that one yeah, yeah you can either go the world economic forum model where you own nothing and you're happy somehow or you can mine bitcoin and be happy which would be my preference i'm i'm, I'm on that one i'm i'm on team team citadels team satoshi stan <laughs> all right that's probably a good place to wrap this up um the only other thing i wanted to uh, get into that you brought up which we'll probably we'll save maybe maybe this is something Remember this the next time you write a piece, but you brought up the hash horizon and Dhruv Bonsal's 
piece on the astronomy thing. Maybe actually I'll have you back because I've still got uh, part three of the Bitcoin astronomy series to read on the show. Um, so I'll see if uh, I'll hit up Drew. We'll, we'll bug the shit out of him and maybe we'll have a sit down and talk about energy. And when we're talking about uh, inhabiting, uh, you know, barren energy, uh, energy landscapes and the, as a pioneer species, there is no more interesting sci-fi future discussion than talking about inhabiting other planets. So we will go there. <laughs> Amen. And quick tangent on that. Drew gave me notes on this essay. I've edited some of his. We're good friends and I love I love how he thinks. So and there's multiple bits of Drew in the essay. You probably noticed oh, I, I mentioned I Hash Horizon. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned uh, bits move atoms, which is mm -hmm. a mind blowing idea. Bitcoin yeah. mining is the bits process and moves atoms, meaning Bitcoin mining, a digital process actually rearranges the physical world because we restructure based on the incentives digitally mind-blowing stuff and yes the hash horizons um colonizing new stars you got to launch a new proof of work network to do that otherwise there's no incentive to shoot yourself into space a thousand years in the future oh yeah. man sign me up <laughs> it's epic it's epic we're gonna do it we're gonna do it all right um i will hit you up then dude thanks for joining me as always um welcome to your first time on bitcoin audible brandon quitum <laughs> all right man thanks so much for joining me dude yeah, thanks, guy. Anybody wants to say hello, my DMs are open or Twitter. Come say hello. My essays are online. And this essay is my pinned tweet. So you can take a peek there and I'd love any feedback. So thanks again, guy. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. I'll have links to all the stuff and I'll direct everybody over there. Beautiful. Later, man. All right, guys. I hope you guys had as much fun with that conversation as I did. Um, always good hanging out with Brandon. Follow him at bquitem, B-Q-U-I-T-T-E-M on Twitter. I will have the link in the show notes so you can do that. Drop some applause on this article and check it out. He's got tons of other great pieces on Medium. He's got the Mycelium series. He's got the, the Fourth Turning. Um, it just, there's tons of, he has tons of great writing. Um, I'm hoping, I didn't even get to ask him about it. I, was, I have been thinking that he should write a book. But um, we'll we'll see. I'll uh, I'll bring that up the next time we have him on the show. But he's got tons of great stuff to dig into, and so much of it. I I think I have almost everything he's done in audio on the show. If not, then I apologize and just send me the link, and I'll get to it. But thanks to uh, Swan Bitcoin, thanks to Fold, thanks to the Bitbox Hardware Wallet, and to Bitcoin Magazine for hosting the most epic Bitcoin conference out there. These guys have supported the show, and it's been awesome. I'm a huge fan of all their products, and it's cool that they're fans of the show. That makes me feel good. Uh, and also, also thank you all. Thank you all for listening. A shout-out to the Audionauts, man, for supporting me on Patreon and hanging out in the Telegram group. I don't, get to, I don't get to spend a lot of time over there, it seems like. But I really value that crew, and y'all have been supporting this show since before the idea of sponsors was even, even viable. Um, and it's awesome to have such a cool gang and it's fun. It's fun hanging out with y'all. Uh, hopefully I get to see a bunch of y'all at either Unco Unconfiscatable or Bitcoin 2022. I will have another episode of Bitcoin Audible probably tomorrow. I will catch you then. I love you all. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, take it easy, guys.
You have been listening to Bitcoin Audible, a 111 production. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.